are glad that you guys are here today. And um, if you are in Kidmo, you can head on out. And they're going to have their own time of teaching and small groups and good stuff like that. I'm glad to be with you. Um, I hope you have had a good week. And we may be a little brief today. I'm, I am overcoming some sickness like some of you. Uh, I'm not contagious, I don't think. Um, so you may not want to get too close to me. But, um, but I do have some things I want to share with you today. One quick announcement that I was asked to make is that there is going to be a Kidmo meeting right after worship today. Um, so if you are in Kidmo, if you're interested in Kidmo, um, then we would love for you to go back and be a part of that. Um, we're doing some great things back there in that with our elementary age kids. It's going to be a lot of fun. So hope that you'll join us. Um, it is possible I'm going to lose my breath because I've got a lot of stuff to share with you. And I don't have a whole lot of energy. So can you all listen quickly and with grace? Oh, praise the Lord. All right. Um, I want us to start with just a little bit of a recap. And if this is your first time with us in this series that we're in called Next, uh, this is our third week. And what we are doing is we are preparing uh, for a future of what God is telling us and moving us. And I am a firm believer that if you are going to follow Christ, he's going to move you somewhere and in some, in some way. Uh, as we do that and as we continue to follow him, uh, what we find about the Christian life is that living the Christian life is less about activity and it's more about seeking God. And yet when we seek God, that always inspires activity within us. And so as we do this, our goal is not to promote a a program or a plan or trying to get you to do something other than to seek God so significantly and to understand that he has a purpose and a next for you in your life. Our core verse for the series comes from Hebrews 11.6, and it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So our desire is to be a congregation of seekers. Now, this is a lot of fun for some of us who enjoy a good adventure. How many adventurers do we have in the room? You like a good adventure. The truth about adventure is that most of us will live lives that are insufficient if we don't have some element of adventure in them. And the reason is not that we all are just thrill seekers. The reason is that God has built in with each one of us the desire to seek something more beyond what we are currently experiencing. In the moments that we become content, and if you didn't read the blog this week, Leslie wrote that blog and passed that on to me. You need to read it. And it is, it is good stuff. It is better than the sermon um, about being, not being content. And so I hope that you'll go back and read that. If Once we begin to fall into the realm of being content, we begin to miss out on what God is calling us to. So for the last two weeks, what we've talked about so far, just a reminder, week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus meets you right where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to be the perfect person. You don't have to be the perfect Christian. You don't have to commit to 15 ministries to serve in. And you got to make sure that you've got your Bible with you at all times. God meets you right where you are, but he loves you too deeply to leave you there. 
There's always a calling, a beckoning, an invitation for you to come and to see more and to see him and what he wants to do in your life. Last week, we talked about the fact that we can't fully experience Jesus until we embrace the next he has for your life. Not only will he not leave you where you are, we can't fully experience him in our lives unless we are following him somewhere. And when we follow him somewhere, then we begin to not just experience that place where he's taking us, we get to experience him in the midst of the journey. And what I've learned in my life is that that is very much what the Christian life is about. Less about destination, more about experiencing Christ in the journey itself. Whenever we do this, the problem that we have We talked about this last week, is that we don't miss God's best because we are intentionally running from Him. We miss God's best because we settle for everything else. And I don't know about you, but I want my life and my prayer to be not one of settling, but of experiencing all that God has for me. And that's what I want for each one of us in this room. This all leads us to what I want to talk to you about today, and that is that you must take an unknown and an uncertain step. And that's where I want us to focus our time today. I want us to pray together before we begin. But I'm going to be asking you to walk into the unknown. And for all of us, the unknown carries elements of fear and uncertainty. But yet that is often where we see God. Would you pray with me? Father, God, as we come together and as you are sharing with us what our next will be, Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you and to have faith in you and that your invitation to seek you is still open and that we have that opportunity this morning. God, I thank you for these that are in this room today. God, I know that you are calling them to somewhere right now. Whatever that may be, I pray that you would give us the faith to not only follow you, but to follow you anxiously and excitedly because wherever you take us, we get to go there with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to share a story with you. And if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, we're going to be pretty much exclusively in uh, the end of Luke chapter 9, the beginning of Luke chapter 10. This is a story of Jesus. Jesus, at this point in his journey, has come through a, a time of building in his ministry. His name has now become a fixture in the areas in which he has visited. And your name would become a fixture in those areas as well if you were healing the sick, raising the dead, helping the lame to walk. You, your name would be, be rising in fame as well. And Jesus was consistently, his name was being circulated in the area of a teacher who knew God and could do some incredible things. Now, some would come to experience Jesus and they would know exactly who he was. And whatever call Jesus issued, they wanted to be there with him. Some did not. They knew he was a great guy. He was a great teacher. He could do some great things. But they weren't quite ready to follow him. But we pick up Jesus' journey right now when he's headed to Jerusalem. And this is going to be his journey to his death. This is the time whenever he has taught and he has performed many miracles. He has said, uh, taught on the parables and the Sermon on the Mount, and he is coming into Jerusalem. And at the end of this process, he's going to die. He's beginning to tell his apostles, now you need to be prepared because the way this is going to end is in my death. And then you're going to go out and you're going to spread this message. And as he does this, 
they have to travel through different cities to get back to Jerusalem. In this particular encounter, they are going to have to go through an area of Samaria that is controlled by the Samaritans. Now, what you need to know about the Samaritans is that the Samaritans did not like the Jews, and the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans literally come from a background or a lineage just as the Jews did, except when the Assyrians conquered Israel, what the Jews did was separate themselves to keep their bloodline and their lineage or nationality pure. But the Samaritans were Jews that intermarried with the Assyrians, and they not only intermarried and mixed their their national bloodlines, they also began to take on the religion of the Assyrians. And so their religion was very much a mix of Judaism and the religion of the Assyrians. And so the Jews hated them because they had been corrupted. They weren't following in the the footsteps of Moses. They weren't following in the law, and they weren't following in obedience to God. We pick that up in Luke chapter 9, and Jesus is about to travel through an area of the Samaritans, which, interestingly, before we read this, Jesus' response to the Samaritans was completely different from the rest of the Jews. Jesus consistently showed love, care, grace, and mercy to the Samaritans, just as he did with any of the Jews. In fact, one of the most well-known stories of Jesus' encounter with an outsider was the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well, who when he was thirsty and his disciples had gone out and he was sitting there by the well, she came up and he said, I'd like to drink. And it is in that encounter that he says, I want to offer you living water, the kind that you will never thirst again. And in doing so, we have just a beautiful encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman saying, you are lovely and worth value. You can have everything that I'm offering to the Jews. And this is a woman that lived a life that was not pure in any way. We see over and over again in the parable of the Good Samaritan and different ways of Jesus showing the Samaritans are valuable people. But that is not the way the Jews nor the apostles saw them. And this encounter is not going to help that. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Now, you can see why they were upset. They would not allow Jesus and the apostles to stay there on their journey. Now, as we look at this story, we begin to talk about uncertainty and what it looks like to follow Christ in uncertain times. What we have to understand is that everything that Jesus was doing with his apostles was training them to live under uncertainty, to live in the unknown They are literally homeless. They have nowhere to go, nowhere to stay. They don't have jobs that are preparing or providing for them provisions. They go stay in a hotel. They are staying on the goodwill of those that receive them and have received their message. How many of us would be okay with a career that said, you will travel with no home and no provisions. You're just going to have to trust God day by day. It is a life of the uncertain. 
And while we may not be called to do exactly what he's asking them to do, we are still called to live in that life. Verse 57 says this, as they were going along the road, this is someone else. Someone else said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The calling of, to follow Jesus is literally for you and I, the calling to embrace uncertainty. And the reason that we hate this, we like things to be certain and to be known. We like things to make sense and to be stable. Here's my guess about most of you, and this may not be true about everyone because there's always, you know, some person who's different. But here's my guess for most of us in the room is that most of you get up around the same time every morning. When you get up, you probably have the same routine to follow through each day, right? I dare say a good number of you, that involves coffee and no discussion before said coffee, right? (laughs) Amen? Once you've had your coffee and you're ready to go, if you have kids, then it probably involves some routine and you have already learned the process that you need to do to have the kids up and ready. You got to start with one kid in particular and then you go to the rest because one's harder than the other to give up, get up. You probably have a pattern of getting ready. You probably do the same thing every day to get ready, don't you? You probably get up and you get your clothes out or you take a shower. You probably do your hair in the same order that you, whatever you get dressed or, or whatever your routine is. You probably do that in the same way most every day. You probably take the same route to work and likely will take the same route back home every single day. Occasionally, someone will probably take a different route and say, I want to do something different. I want to be crazy. I'm going to go, you know, Hicks and Pike instead of 27. You know, I don't know. That's crazy, crazy talk around my house. But you probably have the same route that you take every day. At work, you probably have a preferred time to take your lunch. And I'm betting you either take something similar to lunch every day or you have a pattern of places to go eat that revolve around just a few selections. By the time you get home, I bet you also have a routine. And that routine involves something about coming in and dinner has to be involved in that routine. And then there's going to be some after-dinner routine that may involve watching TV or, or doing laundry or whatever. You probably all do those and you probably have a very similar routine every single day. The reality is that for us in the world, we desire routine because it gives us that thing which is certain And what is known, and it gives us the illusion of control. My guess is if anything goes wrong in your routine, we live on the other side of the tracks. Not something I'd ever thought I'd be proud to say, but we live on the other side of the tracks, which means on any given day, if we pass the tracks three times, at least one of those, we're going to get stopped by a train. And when you live on the other side of the tracks, that's not a whole lot of fun. And I never pull up to the train and go, I am God, thank you so much that this train is here. I never say that because it messes up my routine because I know how long it takes me. It takes me three and a half minutes from the time I exit 27 to get to my house. But if the train's there, it doubles my time. And while that's just three and a half minutes of my day, it feels like an absolute eternity. When we disrupt our routine, then we feel like something has gone wrong. 
We're no longer in control. You're at work and someone calls a meeting at 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, if I get out of here by 4.45, I'm going to hit the traffic on the dam. I know how this works. Because we love, we love routine. The problem with routine is that it does put us in control and we never experience anything new. And that thing in each one of us that draws us to adventure is a thing that God has planted there that says, I'm inviting you on an adventure with me that's going to take you to places you never would have gone on your own, but you have to be willing to go to places you've never been. And for many of us, we will not ever break that routine. You probably go to the vacation in the same spots. Maybe you rotate two or three different places. But routine or getting in that system that just feels like it makes sense, that just feels good and it feels like the world is right. Whenever our rhythm is upset, we feel like not only something has gone wrong, but we're going to miss out on something. We're going to lose something. The fear of the unknown is the thing that keeps us staying in that routine. Let's go try somewhere else to eat. Oh, I don't know. Let's just go to our favorite place. But yet it's the unknown where God works. Do you know whenever you receive our email blast, we have a couple of times during the week that we know these, this is the two-hour window on these two days of the week that if we can slip an email in, we know that by market evidence that you are likely going to be willing to open and absorb an email, a non-work email during the day if you're at work. You can look it up. You can search it today. You can go say, when's the best time to send out an email blast? And you're going to get two or three different answers from two or three different research groups because people are so used to routine that we know how they're going to function. It's the reason that most of our favorite shows end up having twice as many commercials as the shows that really aren't that good, right? You're going to stick around. They know you're going to stick around and watch. And it's the ability to know those patterns that help so many people become successful in the market because we are a people of pattern. We like rhythm because we know what to expect and we have the illusion that we are in control of our own lives. On the flip side, we hate uncertainty because the chance of discomfort seems likely. And I don't know about you, but I did not seek out in this journey of my life to find discomfort. Anyone else? That's not my goal in life. If anyone comes up to me and says, you know what my goal in life is, is to be as uncomfortable as possible. I'm thinking we need to get you in counseling. That's not right. That's not normal. But that's why we are afraid of the uncertain. When we look into Scripture, many of the people that God used in great ways, he had to take them on a journey to be comfortable with uncertainty. Abraham, we've talked about him before. Abraham had to become comfortable with uncertainty. And so he said, I want you to pick up this massive enterprise. You have become one of the most successful people in the world. I want you to pick up this mass enterprise, and I want you to go and just follow me. And Abraham said, okay, well, where am I going? It would be normal for a business person to ask the question, if it's time to move, I need to make a plan. I need to have logistics worked out. I need to know where we're going, what to take with us, how long it's going to take us to get there, and how are we going to move all these people 
people, all this livestock? How are we going to bring all the things to start over in a new land? Where are we going? What's it like? And God's response was, I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. And Abraham began a journey of going and stopping. And God's saying, okay, Abraham, now I want you to get up and go again. And they would get up and they would go. And then he would say, stop. And then go. Stop. Uncertainty was the thing that he was teaching Abraham over and over again because the thing God most wanted to do in his life was going to require Abraham following God into uncertain places. Story of Moses. If you remember, Moses had a great life. He had a great time that he was going to, <coughs> excuse me, he was going to be able to grow up in the Pharaoh's household. I mean, he was blessed, hashtag blessed. And yet God said, God said, I have a mission for you. I want to pull you somewhere where you don't want to go. And he said, I want you to lead your people out of Egypt. And what did Moses say? Okay, God, let's go do it. No, that's not what he said. It's what every one of us do when we are asked to do something that goes into the uncertain or the unknown. God, I am not the right person. And so he began to prepare Moses. And then Aaron came along, and God said, well, Aaron's going to help you because you don't think you can do this on your own. So Aaron will help you. And then this whole trend passed on then to the nation of Israel as they wandered in the desert. As God simply said, I'm going to take you into a land filled with milk and honey, but you just got to follow me right now. Just follow me. And for 40 years, they ended up following him before they were ready to go into the promised land. When we look at the apostles, Jesus spent intentional time with the apostles, removing their need and dependence on security and the rhythm of life so that they would embrace something better. And for you and I, this is what God is calling us, inviting us to, inviting us to something that is better. As we read in 57 and 58, he, Jesus says to these, this man or woman, we don't know who it is, who says, I will go wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, which means neither will you if you follow me. What Jesus is saying is that you and I, once we embrace the fact that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that, that he is the Son of God and that he is preparing a place for us that we will go to, we are no longer citizens of this world, but we are citizens of the next. So you and I are just passing through. The career that you have, that you've built, that you went to school for, that you've worked for years in which to attain, you are still just passing through. That home that you've set up exactly the way you want and exactly the place where you want it to be. You have your colors exactly the way you always wanted your home. And you've got the furniture looking exactly the way that you want. Although, I don't know that that's possible. If any of you do have exactly what you wanted, invite us over so we can see what that looks like. Because most of us are always thinking we need something else. But even in that perfect house, in that perfect place, with those perfect paints and that perfect furniture and everything is perfect, we are just passing through. 
So when we accept the call of Jesus, we're accepting a call that says, I will not just to put my roots down and stand in this one place. I will not control my schedule so that I get to do everything I want to do. I will not just get into a rhythm that I can go 10 years and feel that my life has not changed one bit. I've just lived life for 10 years. Instead, God is calling you to something more, something better. We jump down to Luke chapter 9, verse 59. It says, to another, he said, follow me. But that person said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, <coughs> excuse me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, which is the message of, <coughs> excuse me, know Christ, walk with him and follow him. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, when I read these verses, and probably when you read these verses, you think, gosh, Jesus, that's a little harsh. I mean, that's not really how you get a crowd. I mean, if somebody's dad dies, let him go bury his dad and then he can come back. You know, let, let somebody go say goodbye to their family <laughs> so that they can follow you. Wouldn't you want somebody to come say goodbye to you if they were leaving? And I don't think the point here is that Jesus really, literally wanted them to leave right that moment, though it certainly appears that way. It's more of him saying, if you want to follow me, this has to be the driving passion of your heart. You can't have other competing passions. And he says lots of things like this. He says things like, you know what, I'm going to separate mother and father and brother and sister and kids and their parents. I'm going to separate them. They're going to have to choose. He was not saying that you, in order to know and to love Jesus, you have to ignore the people you love. He's saying that if you love Jesus, some of the people you love may not love you back. And so in this time, what he's saying is, what is more important, where I am going? Because Jesus, remember, is on the path to crucifixion and resurrection at this point. There's not much time left. The journeys that they've had together so far are coming to a conclusion that they're going to follow him. Now is the time. He has to be the driving passion of our lives. This call, this call that he gave to these people, this invitation today is the same as it was to them. It's to follow Jesus wherever he leads you. Now, it's very easy for us to think, well, you know, I'm following him, I think. I mean, I come to church and I talk about him sometimes with my friends and, you know, I try to be a good person. But that's really not what Jesus is asking us for. A lot of times we easily fall back into the patterns of doing as a way of proving that we love Jesus. And yet Jesus has never asked us to prove that we love him by doing. He's simply asked us to follow him. Now, we've also taken that to the other extreme and said, well, I just need to love Jesus and I don't have to do anything. As long as I love Jesus, then I'm fine. And the truth is, and what the apostles teach us over and over again is, if you love Jesus... He will lead you to do something. That's exactly what James was saying. It's exactly what Paul was saying. 
We are not saved by works, but our faith will inform works. And yet we often get it confused because you and I live in a society where we are judged by what we offer others. The jobs that we have, we have because someone believes that we can offer value to them. And that may mean that you need to have an education. That may mean that you need to have a certain amount of experience. But you, in some way, are going to add value to them. And so by what you do, they give you a job and pay you. Some of our worst relationships are those people that love us when we do things for them. But don't love us when we don't. And it's so easy to see God in that same context because you and I live in that context with people every single day. But that is not the way God works. God does not love you for what you do. He loves you for who you are. You do things out of your walking with him. And that may seem like I'm mincing words, but there is a huge difference there. And if you're stuck between that difference, I would spend a lot of time trying to figure that out within your own lives. that God is not calling you to do, but when he calls you, you will want to do. Jesus' invitation to you is the same as it was to them. Follow Jesus wherever he leads you. Interesting, the next passage that comes up as we follow this uncertainty journey that the disciples are on, that Jesus is leading him on. In in chapter 10, the very next verse, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, (coughs) excuse me, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, if we go on and we read some more, what we're going to find is that Jesus is telling them, don't take anything with you. You're going to go and you're going to live on the the goodwill of those people that you come in contact with that hear the message. And I'm going to tell you that if that's what it looked like right now for me to follow Jesus, I would have some real crisis of faith because I like knowing how much is coming in every month. Amen. I like knowing I can pay my bills and I have a home to come home to. I have a car to drive. I have places to go. I like that stuff. And yet God is going to continue to beckon me and he's going to continue to beckon you to be less tied to our stuff and our security and more tied to just being wherever he is. It's this idea of journey. When we started journey, I tell you, we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't 10 years later. But it was a huge unknown for us. And I remember that when I first talked to Deidre about planning a church, I've told this story before, it's been a while. She had all these unspiritual fears about paying bills and buying food and stuff. Very unspiritual. We had three kids at the time. Jonathan was six months old. And uh, actually, this was before Jonathan was even born when we had this conversation. And it was another probably year and a half before we both came to the place of feeling that this is what God was telling us to do. It was the fear of the unknown. And for us, that first year 
or so, we didn't get really any paycheck at all. We left a good job. We had good career path ahead of us. We had people we loved and that loved us around us. And we had lots of good things happening. We were at that stage where our kids were being born. And, you know, at that point, everything is so much fun. Most of the time, once you get past the not being able to sleep part with the youngins. But it was a good time. But for me in that moment, in making that choice... I had no desire to start a church. I don't know if Scott ever had a desire to start a church. They were very happy in the place that they were at as well. But yet God was calling us and saying, there is something more if you will follow me. Now we have found in the last few years that that call to follow him means as much change within our own lives as it does mean changing the people that we would come in contact with. But that is where Jesus was for us. And in that moment of uncertainty was a question, do we stay with the routine, with the comfortable, with the thing we can know that is right and good and true? We we know that this is a way to live life and we can retire and be happy with the lives that we live. But if this is where Jesus is calling us to, then how can we miss out on that? And all of our fears of uncertainty, I felt every single one of them. We have in these last 10 years experienced great gain and great loss. We have experienced great joy and great hurt. The reason that we don't want to follow Jesus into uncertain moments is because we don't want the pain and we don't want the hurt. We want the gain and not the sacrifice. And yet I can tell you that in these last 10 years, I've experienced Christ in ways I've never experienced him before and I wouldn't trade it for anything. There is something about the uncertain that beckons us and frightens us. If you feel that Jesus is sending you into the unknown, He is, and He always has. If I could have one prayer for you for today that would carry you into these next few years of your life and our life as a church, it is that you would embrace the unknown. You would embrace the uncertain. There are different ways that we avoid the unknown in the church. And sometimes we avoid the unknown by avoiding serving in certain ways. I I know with our musicians that get up here, they do such a great job every week. But I know there's a fear in every one of them when they get up here. And consistently of of the dozens of people that have been on this stage over the past few years, uh, someone will get on and and they're just like, ah, oh, I'm so nervous. I just don't, I don't feel like I'm good enough to be doing this. And, you know, they just beat themselves to death. And yet they go into the uncertain and to the unknown. And before you know it, they are thriving there. It's a beautiful place to go. Sometimes our children's workers, that's funny. I, before we had our first child, I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody's kids. I would be the one that would walk in the room, you know, your friends were all having kids and they would hold up their baby. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, that's it. That's all I wanted to have. I want to, you know, I, no, no, oh, that's so cute. And hold them and do all those, yeah, you know, okay. You know, now I have my kids and I see little kids and I want to pick them up and all the time. I love them. I love spending time with them. It's the uncertain and the unknown. You try to protect the thing that is, brings you stability. That You try to protect the things 
that you're good at. And if you don't feel that you're good at anything, you avoid them. And I've seen so many of our children's workers come in and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these kids. And yet they just love those kids and the kids love them back. It's an amazing thing embracing the uncertain and the unknown is because that is where God begins to come into your weaknesses and begin to create strength through the Holy Spirit in you. And yet, if we are going to fight and stay in the rhythm of our lives that we can't break out of, then you can bet you will not experience the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will not happen because God does not stay in the places where you control. God is in the places that you don't. Will we pursue those things? His invitation is the same as it was to them. Follow him wherever he leads you. We together are not just on our individual journeys. You have a journey. I have a journey. Our families have journeys. Our church is on a journey together. It's one of the reasons that the community in Scripture is described <coughs> excuse me, as the place where people care for one another. It's, a, it's an enmeshing of lives together, an embedding of our lives into each other so that we know what's going on with each other. We love each other. We spend time with each other. Out of here, whenever someone's hurting, people are there. Whenever someone is in need, needs are being met. That's the way we care for each other. We're a community that thrives on relationships with each other. In fact, Jesus said those relationships were so crucial that many of those relationships are the things that will lead people back to him. Which is why for some of us in this room, which I know we are, we are like an introvert heavy church. A large number of people in our church would just be happy to be by themselves all the time. It's crazy. And for you, the uncertain and the unknown is putting yourself out there to build relationships with somebody that you don't know that doesn't look like you. And yet those are the places that may be the most significant relationships that you will ever have in your life. If you'll put yourself out there, hey, let's go to lunch. Come over to our house. Hey, come join my small group. Hey, can we keep your kids so you guys can get away? You know, it's life on life where we begin to feel that we love each other and we need each other and that our lives are a part of each other's. We celebrate with each other's successes and we mourn with each other's failures. Not only are we at journey on a collective journey, no pun intended, but all Christians are on a journey together. All churches are on a journey together. All those that know Christ, we are all on a journey together, each in our places, God calling us to a certain place and one day calling us home to be with him. My question I want to ask you is this. Will you face the unknown? This is a question you're going to have to ask yourselves for the rest of your life. And I just want you to know that if we look at the examples of God working in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New, he's asking you to face the unknown. To have that conversation with that person that you really don't want to talk to, but you're fairly certain they need to know Christ. To forgive somebody that you don't want to forgive because they have done such an grievous harm to you. To care for somebody who doesn't often care for others themselves. Will you face the unknown? Some of our ancient traditions 
tell of a monk from Ireland. His name was St. Brendan of Clonfort. St. Brendan is the patron saint of all seagoing boats and all kinds of things, including the U.S. Navy. St. Brendan was a monk said to have been one of the 12 apostles of Ireland who felt he, he was being called to uncertainty. And he would eventually undertake what would become a seven-year journey over the Atlantic Ocean in order to find his Isle of the Blessed. It was a, a place that had never been discovered yet. And yet he wanted to go find this place. They have great tales about St. Uh, Bernard's, uh, I'm sorry, Brendan's uh, adventures, one in which they wanted to stop and celebrate Mass, and so they stopped on an island in the middle of the fog, and as they started their fire then, they only <laughs> realized that they were on a whale and not an island. Whether or not that is true or not is really inconsequential. All seafaring stories grow over time, don't they? Interesting story with St. Brendan was he traveled for seven years, and finally found his Isle of, of Blessing. And it says for 40 days they, tri- they traveled on the Isle of Blessing until they finally found a river that cut the island in half, one that they could not pass, and they had to stop at that moment. It could not go any further. He didn't know where he was going. He just know, he knew he was going somewhere. He just knew God was beckoning him to go find something. Some have surmised that perhaps he was one of the first people from Europe to sail to find North America, and that that great river was actually the Mississippi River. Some believe that some of the great explorers that would come after her, including Christopher Columbus, would have been inspired by Brendan to follow his same path that led them then to find the new world hundreds of years later. It was so significant because he lived not in the 1500s or 1400s. He lived at 484 A.D. to 577 A.D., very early in our faith's history. Before he left, this is the prayer that is attributed to Brendan before he took his journey. You may hear yourself in this prayer. It says, Shall I abandon... O king of mysteries, the soft comforts of home. Shall I turn my back on my native land and turn my face towards the sea? Shall I put myself wholly at your mercy, without silver, without a horse, without fame, without honor? Shall I throw myself wholly upon you without sword and shield, without food and drink, without a bed to lie on? Shall I say farewell to my beautiful land, placing myself under your yoke? Shall I pour out my heart to you, confessing my manifold sins and begging forgiveness, tears streaming down my cheeks? Shall I leave the prints of my knees on the sandy beach, a record of my final prayer in my native land? Shall I then suffer every kind of wound that the sea can inflict? Shall I take my tiny boat across the wide, sparkling ocean? O king of the glorious heaven, shall I go of my own choice upon the sea? O Christ, will you help me on the wild waves? It's attributed also to St. Brendan that he said this, God's spirit is the wind in my sails, and he will lead me 
wherever he wants me to go. Do you believe that about Christ today in your life? Is he leading you somewhere? Or are you telling him where you want to go? Because most of us will spend our lives trying to tell him where we want to go. And because we believe that God loves us because of what we do, we will do many, many things in his name, hoping that then he will grant where we've already told him we want to go. But yet Brendan had found the answer. And that was that it is not about where I want to go. It is where I want to be with Christ. And wherever he leads me, that's where I will go. Now, it's fun to talk about this in a sermon. But what if you were one of those apostles and Jesus said, now I want you to go out and I don't want you to take any money. I don't want you to take any food. I don't want you to take any clothes. I don't want you to take anything with you. Don't take a sword. Don't take anything with you. Just go and trust that I'll take care of you. So that's following Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he leads us. And it's uncomfortable. And it's a place that we will initially respond with in fear. What if God were to say he wants you to pick up and drop everything you have and move in a direction? Could you do that? One of the great harms of debt is that it is like an anchor that anchors you into your past. You cannot ever embrace a future when you are anchored to a past through debt. Because that debt, as Scripture tells us, becomes your master. And you cannot say, I'm done with this past. I will follow God where he's leading me now because it is tugging you from behind. And if you abandon and walk away, well, they will put you in jail. (laughs) We have to be open and ready for wherever God would lead us. It said that when Brendan reached this great river that divided the island to which they would have to turn back and they could go no further. It was in that moment that Brendan was undoubtedly asking the questions, why has this taken seven years? I want you to imagine seven years in a small boat with 40 other people. Ooh, ooh, that's a bad day. I don't think I could stand that. Seven years traveling, not knowing where they're going to end up. Are we going to find the place that we're going to find? You can imagine the kinds of prayers that have gone up from Brendan and his companions. God, is this the day? What about those days in which the storms came and tossed the boat and they thought we're done? This journey is going to end right here and now. How many times have we prayed to God, God, I'm about to give up. I've about had it. I just can't go any further. This is where I'm reaching for, but I just don't feel like you want me to get there. Seven years they were on this journey. It said that an angel appeared to St. Brendan in this moment. And these are the words that the angel uttered. Behold, this is the land that you have sought for so long. You were not able to find it immediately because God wanted to show you the many secret wonders of the great ocean. Is it possible that in our avoiding the unknown, we are missing out on many of the secret wonders that God wants to show us? Is it possible that God is calling you, urging you, beckoning you in a direction because he wants to show you something you will not see otherwise? 
Is it possible the pain and the struggle, those storms that come and you feel that we're about to be overturned, we can't continue on anymore? God is wanting you to see more of Him. And it's going to take going through the storm in order to do that. What secret wonders is God beckoning you to discover if you will simply follow Him? I know what I'm asking. And while my journey has caused me many things, my journey pales in comparison to other journeys. But that's not really the point. The point is not how my journey compares to anyone else. The point is, what is my journey with Jesus really like? That's what matters. Your story is different from mine. Your story will likely be different from mine. You're here with us today. You may or may not be with us tomorrow. You are on a journey with Christ yourself. Continue on that journey into the places that you don't want to go because that's where you will see God. This prayer was also attributed to St. Brendan and his life. It says, help me to journey beyond the familiar and into the unknown. Give me the faith to leave old ways and break fresh ground with you. Christ of the mysteries, I trust you to be stronger than each storm within me. I will trust you in the darkness and know that my times, even now, are in your hand. Tune my spirit to the music of heaven and somehow make my obedience count for you. Amen. Will you be a Brendan? Someone who says there is a place to go, a journey to be on. There's uncertainty to experience. There's a, a vast journey into the unknown where Christ is that I must go. For some of you, that could absolutely mean something like picking up and moving and going somewhere and pursuing some kind of ministry or some kind of mission work. Except some of you, that's not going to be the case. And God has you here in this place and he's not going to ask you to move and sell your house. Instead, he's going to ask you to invest in people that you don't know how they'll respond to you. It may mean that in our times here as a church, it, it may mean coming in and loving on some kids when you don't feel totally confident with kids. You may not feel like all the kids think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, listen, join the club because my kids don't think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread either. And those are my kids. Maybe God's calling you to teach. And you're thinking, gosh, I'm not a teacher. I don't even know if I can say the right words. I'm not a good speaker. Well, guess what? That is who God calls. Because God calls the people who can't do it on their own. If you can do it on your own, there's no need for God. And if God is not involved, then it won't do anything meaningful for the kingdom. God may be saying, it's time for you to teach. Maybe it means befriending people. One of the constant prayers we have for our children that we talk to them about is we want them to befriend the people that no one else befriends. It's the unknown, the uncertain. How will people treat you then? But that is where Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is, that's where we need to be. My question I want to ask you, and I don't want you to just think about your journey, your personal journey. Well, that is your temptation. I want you to think about our church, too. 
want you to think about where your place is in the journey of our church together, because we need you. We need what God is showing you. We need to hear what God is telling you. We need your care and your love. We need you to call somebody when you haven't seen them in a while and say, are you doing okay? Because a lot of times people disappear because they're not doing okay, but nobody ever follows up on them. We need to be able to love on these kids. We need to be able to love on these teenagers. We need to be able to do lots of things. But I tell you this, I do believe that as God leads us on our collective journey, He is not calling us simply to bolster up our ministry to each other, but He's calling us to bolster up our ministry to our community. To those who don't know Christ, to those who don't believe anybody in the church cares about them. And we can only do that if we all go together. Will you pursue your uncertain next with Jesus? I know it's uncomfortable. And I know there are days when I pray, God, I am ready for some certainty. (laughs) I see other people who have certainty and they just seem so happy. But the truth is they're not. They're just complacent. They're just stuck. Because the adventure, that's where Jesus is. I, just make, I will make you this promise because I, I know it is true. I believe it to be true. Scripture bears it out that it will be true. And I have seen it on, in my own life to be true. If you will pursue your uncertain next, you and we as a community will grow like we never have before. But if you hold tightly on to the rhythm and the, the, the monotony that it becomes within your life, if you do the same thing day after day after day, then you can expect that your life is never going to experience the kinds of secret wonders that Brendan talks about. But if you will follow Jesus, you will. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that as we, as we seek your voice, as we seek to follow you into the places that do not feel safe and secure, I pray that we would see those secret wonders of you at work in our lives. I pray that you would help us to know that we are on a path that is following you. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that knows that wherever you're taking us is the absolute best place we could be. God, I believe there are some in this room that the journey that you are leading them on is taking them through some very difficult places. As the psalmist says, through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, God, you told us then and you tell us now that we do not have to fear because you are with us. I pray that that very fact that you are with us would be enough to carry us through these uncertain and unknown times. Pray that as we are seeking a footing, if you do not have a footing for us to have at this moment, Lord, that you would help us to just trust that you have us, that you'll carry us. God, I pray that we will not live this life living one day at a time, one work shift at a time, one week at a time, but instead we will live every day following you, whatever that looks like in our jobs, in our homes, and in our communities. I pray that you would never allow us to let the fear of uncertainty keep us from your calling, but let us go wherever you are. So you can show us the secret wonders that you desire for us to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.